Haggai 2, verses 1 to 9. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the land of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to, De to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to jo Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. The word of the Lord. First Corinthians 6, 12 to 20. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that anyone who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with that person? For, as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But anyone who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against their own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. The word of the Lord. Let's okay. now stand as Chris reads for us our gospel reading. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John chapter 2 verse 13 to 22. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. 
do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. The Gospel of Christ. Let us pray. Living, eternal, and ever-speaking word, may your words not be hindered by my own. And may your words find among us listening ears and receptive hearts. Amen. You may be seated. So last week, Orvin so ably introduced us to our summer sermon series on some of the post-exilic minor prophets and to the book of Haggai specifically. So in Haggai, I I think he must have been an introvert because we've only got two short chapters. He didn't have a lot to say, or at least not a lot of what he said was recorded. But we have two very brief chapters written at a very specific moment in time to a specific group of people, the leaders of whom are named more than once, for a very specific task, that is, the rebuilding of the temple. My question is, can we here in Toronto or elsewhere, if you're online, some 2,500 years later, appropriate something from this brief text that will have some kind of a benefit in our lives without doing violence to the original intent of the text? Or, another way, is it possible for God to speak through the prophet to the remnant in Jerusalem and to us today with the same words? Maybe you've never thought that question before. Well, I believe it is possible. But to do that, let's start with the end of our reading from Haggai and talk about the dwelling place of God. Our last verse, verse 9, says, The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. The former house, of course, is the first temple built by Solomon around 1000 B.C. The details of its construction and the beauty of those details is recounted in 1 Kings chapters 6 through 9. That temple was destroyed in 586 by the Babylonian emperor Nebuchadnezzar when his forces conquered Jerusalem and many were taken into captivity, the period of what is known as the Babylonian captivity. The second temple, whose restoration was begun here in our reading in the the time of Haggai in 520 BC, completed about five years later, maybe 515, was but a shadow of the glory of the first. Even the grand restoration and expansion under King Herod in the years before Jesus' birth and referred to in our gospel reading, did not measure up to the grandeur of Solomon's temple. Interestingly enough, in light of this this phrase in Haggai, 
that the latter glory would be greater than the first, some Jewish scholars have believed that there will be a third temple that will be even more glorious than Solomon's temple. But as Orvin pointed out last week, and as is read in our gospel reading, Jesus redefined the temple, didn't he? He redefined the dwelling place of God. In John chapter 2, he said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. He was referring to his own death and resurrection. He referred to himself as the temple or the dwelling place of God. This was a cryptic hint that the dwelling place of God on earth was changing. The writers to the epistles, and particularly the Apostle Paul, run with this image and make repeated reference to the followers of Jesus as the temple or the dwelling place of God. You see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians 6, 1 Peter 2, and here in our epistle reading in 1 Corinthians 6. In this particular passage, Paul is addressing problems he sees in the Corinthian church. In the larger context, he's dealing with inappropriate and unhealthy relationships with money, power, status, the relationships between people of different socioeconomic status, their relationship with food, with the larger pagan society, and more specifically, sexual relationships. And he asks the question, how does or should the fact that we are embodied human beings, as embodied human beings, are the dwelling place of the Spirit of God, impact all of these areas of our lives? How do we glorify God with our bodies? One thing that both our gospel reading, particularly Jesus' cleansing of the temple, and our 1 Corinthians reading make clear is that any conversation about the dwelling place of God is also a conversation about purification and holiness. A primary truth about holiness, a truth often overlooked, is that holiness is an abandonment to God. Yes, holiness is fleeing from that for which we were not created, from that which alienates us from God and others. But unless we flee into the arms and the heart of God, it's not holiness. I said, this, I said before that we can abandon all manner of people and things and be no more holy because of it. We must abandon ourselves to God in the pursuit of holiness. Now, there are many lessons that can be learned from church history about mistakes that faith communities in the past have made in their pursuit of holiness. But if we keep reminding ourselves that true holiness is loving abandonment of ourselves to God, I think we'll be less likely to end up in the ditch on this one. Now, it's not lost on me that the theme of holiness continues to crop up in my sermons on a regular basis. And I'm sure that it's a message for all of us. But I think I'd be a fool if I wasn't aware that this was a command to me specifically. You see, for much of my long, ambiguous life of Christian discipleship, I've prayed prayers and I've sung songs that I've never really meant. One of those songs that has become ingrained into my, my being as I've prepared for this sermon in particular, it's been there for a while, but it's, it's dominant now, it's, it's powerfully here, is a song that goes, Refiner's Fire, my heart's one desire is to be holy, set apart for you, Lord. And I will admit, though I've sung that song many times in the past, I would wager that most of the time, 
the desire to be holy hasn't even made the podium, let alone being the only desire of my heart. So, as I have sought to submit to the word of God in order to say anything of substance or value to you today, I've had to look at what holiness means to me and whether it truly is the desire of my heart. Continuing on. In the light of the New Testament redefinition of the dwelling place of God, it's safe to say that we, both individually and collectively, are God's temple. We are God's dwelling place. So, have we, the church, then manifested this latter glory about which Haggai talks? Well, I think the answer has to be an emphatic and heartbroken no. The church has not manifested this latter glory on very many occasions. We need think only of the Crusades, the Inquisition, the persecutions and executions during the Reformation, the subsequent wars of religion, and on into our own day with the radically increased fragmentation of, of the church into many thousands of denominations, some of which proclaim moral and spiritual and doctrinal superiority over others, convinced that they are right, that we are right. From that perspective, then, no, the church has not revealed a glory greater than Solomon's temple. And yet, in the midst of this embarrassing and broken-down hovel that is the story of the church, there have been glimmers of the latter glory, individuals and moments and periods of time where we have approximated, however briefly, a glorious dwelling place for God and from which God's glory has shone. I hesitate to provide examples here because it's never pure. It's always marred by human frailty and the sinful world in which we live. But we do have the examples of the early martyrs who, in dying for the faith while singing praises to God, changed their generation. We have the example of people like St. Patrick, Brother Lawrence, Hildegard of Bingen, and so many others whose lives of humility, wisdom, and radical service changed their generation. We have the Wesleys and George Whitfield who preached to thousands of laborers in the, in the fields because they never would enter into a church and in so doing changed their generation. And we have innumerable acts of kind and loving care in every generation, done out of the spotlight, known only to God, and which have changed those who have received God's love in human form. Because I believe that every generation, every congregation, has an opportunity to become a glorious dwelling place for God, a temple whose glory outshines that of Solomon. Might this be such a time for us at Little T? So without taking away the original intent and audience of our reading from the prophet Haggai, let's take a brief look at what the prophet might be, have to say to us today. What exhortation and encouragement might we be able to receive in order to rebuild a dwelling place that is fit for a holy God? I don't ever recall 
having this happen to me before, but when I first read this passage, a number of specific words leapt off the page almost like they were in bold type. As I continued with the passage, as I continued to meditate and reflect upon it, the significance of these words did not diminish, but rather increased. And so, as slow and dull as I am, I thought, these must be important words. So these are the words that I share with you this morning. The first is in verse 4. It's hard to miss because it's repeated three times. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel. Be strong, O Joshua. Be strong, all you people of the land. Well, what kind of strength are we talking about? Even in the prophet's day, as they engaged in a physical building project, the exhortation was less about physical strength and more about perseverance in the face of adversity and seemingly insurmountable tasks. As Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. The last two years and change have represented so much adversity for us as we've sought to be faithful to the call of God in our lives in these unprecedented and surreal times. So, Tim, be strong, persevere. Orvin, be strong, persevere. Beloved, be strong, persevere. Do not grow weary of doing good. Take your vacations, take your rest, have a good meal and a God-given nap. And when you return to the work, do so aware that you are doing so in the power and presence of God among us. In the same verse, we have the exhortation, work, followed immediately by the encouragement, for I am with you. Rather than sit back and relax because God is with us, we are to work because God is with us. And because God is with us is how we both will be strong and be able to accomplish the work. In the context of this combination of biblical readings that we have this morning, the work, on the one hand, is the shared work of purification and holiness. And on the other, developing the gifts and strengths for loving service of others so that we may be a witness to the world. Frequently in our teaching and in the regular rhythms of our liturgy, we're brought back to what Jesus declared was the heart of the law. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's holiness. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's godly service and witness. We are building a temple that is meant to be a suitable dwelling place for the Holy Spirit of God. What I found interesting about myself is that so often I omit the word holy when I talk about the Spirit. I wonder why that was. Just a thought for reflection. Our third word is in verse 5. That exhortation is fear not. Well, what are we not to fear? The most obvious answer comes immediately following in verse 6. Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake the nations. That which we thought was stable and enduring will be shaken. Shaken to the foundation. Does that resonate with you these days? 
political upheaval and global warfare, social turmoil, the global pandemic, economic distress, and catastrophic climate change. It's all being shaken. All of it. But the word is fear not. And that is because it is being shaken for a purpose. Verse 7 says, So that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill the house with glory. There seems to be a mixing of imagery here, but perhaps an underlying image is that of winnowing. The grain is beaten and shaken and tossed in the air so that the, the, the wheat and the chaff is blown away by the wind and only the kernel remains. Again, we're talking about a process of purification, aren't we? That which will not last, that which is of no use to the kingdom of God, is to be done away with, is to be blown away by the winds of the Spirit. And only that which has eternal significance will remain. Not only that, but those items of eternal significance, the gold, the silver, and the jewels, will pour into the temple and adorn the temple. There will be a purifying, refining, grinding, and polishing. And there will be a dramatic influx of those treasures. What do those treasures represent? People. We are God's treasure. We've always been God's treasure. The latter glory of the temple will be a dramatic influx of purified and holy disciples of Jesus. I'll say that again. The latter glory of the temple will be a dramatic influx of purified and holy disciples of Jesus. There might be another fear, however, that some of us have. And that comes from the sentence immediately preceding, the encouragement not to fear. My spirit remains in your midst. And I'll add the but. My spirit remains in your midst, but fear not. For those of us who like to be in control, those who like to know what to expect, who prefer a predictable course of action, those of us who, like to prefer, who prefer a safe and domestic religion to append to our life construct, the promise of the presence of the Holy Spirit may very well be a terrifying thing because that is not what the Holy Spirit is about. Just before the risen Jesus returned to the Father, he said to the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. The Spirit of God is among us to empower us to be the church and to do the work that we're here for. But for that to happen, we need to relinquish control. For those of us for whom security and safety come from being in control, this is truly a scary thing. Through the prophet, God says to you, fear not, fear not. My spirit is here not to do you harm, but to purify you and to empower you to do the work I have called you to do. And doing the work in the Spirit's power will bring you great joy. Your lives, your community will be a miraculous and a glorious witness to me. I will be glorified. You will be edified. So fear not. Fear not. These, then, are a few of the broad brushstrokes of the latter glory of the temple.
the dwelling place of God Almighty. Purification, a dramatic influx of treasure, and the presence and power of the Spirit to bring these things about. So be strong. Work. Fear not. Let us welcome and embrace this latter glory that is being offered to our generation. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.